darkness into light because they have found you, Lord God, and you have set them free. And, and from their sickness and from their emotional pain and, God, from their loneliness, Lord God, God, that they would find hope and true life and love, Lord God. And so we just thank you for that. We thank you that you've brought that to us, Lord God, and, and we just pray that you would use us now to be a light into this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 2,000 years ago, Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on the back of a colt, the foal of a donkey, and thousands and thousands of people would be in the streets, and, and they would begin singing and shouting praises towards Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and Hosanna in the highest. Right before their very eyes, they would be seeing the fulfillment of what the prophet Zechariah had prophesied some 500 years earlier. And so as they line the streets and they know this prophecy and they're seeing Jesus come in on this this full, the excitement and the enthusiasm would just begin to grow and grow and grow as they're thinking, could this be? This is this prophecy being fulfilled right before my very eyes. That prophecy coming from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this was written or prophesied by uh, um, 500 years earlier, and now they would actually see this happening before them. Think of the excitement. And so they're seeing this, and they're, and they're yelling, Hosanna, and, and they would begin to take their coats off, their cloaks, and they would lay them down in front of, of the donkey as Jesus would come. And they would take palm branches, not just palm things like this, but a whole branch and lay it down. See, the palms were a sign of victory. This morning, you hold a palm in your hand. Hopefully, you, if you do, if you don't, we can get one to you. But this is a sign of victory. Isaiah 53 Verses 4 through 5 says this, Surely he took up our infirmities, and he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was cursed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And hold this up. This is victory. We... We hold this this morning because we know, hey, this symbolizes victory for us, victory that we have in Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross and how he defeated sin and he defeated death and he defeated Satan. And we can now walk and live and move in victory. So when you walk out of this today, I think a lot of people walk out going, yeah, this is nice. They gave me a leaf. This is great. And it's Palm Sunday. Man, think about what you're holding. It's a symbol, a symbol of victory, the victory that you and I walk in and have. And if you don't have that victory, here's the greatest thing. You can't have that victory because it's for all people. So we're excited that it's Palm Sunday um, and we're going to continue this morning with our series on healing. Um, We just felt like God just placed this heavily on our hearts. We always pray for the sick, but we really felt like God wanted us to be intentional about praying for healing. And so the last few weeks we've been praying uh, and teaching on, on healing and basically, it's culminating right now with a healing service this Friday, Good Friday. And so we want to encourage you, don't just only come if you have something you need to be healed from. Come and be there to pray for people, even if it's from your seats. We'll have the deacons up here praying, myself. But man, you can stretch out your hand from your seat and be praying for people. We're celebrating on Good Friday. You know, by his stripes we're healed. And so we're, it's going to be a simple service. We're going to have a few songs. We're going to have communion. Communion's going to be the message. And that is the message. 
I mean, it is to the message. And then we're just going to go into, into praying for the sick. And we're going to do this out of obedience. Jesus says, come and pray for the sick. Call the elders together. Anoint people to oil and pray for them. And we're going to do it in obedience. And we're just going to trust God. We're coming to God, the one who can do everything to the power and authority of the name of Jesus Christ. And so two weeks ago, I preached on um, praying in the name of Jesus. You know, it's something that we say a lot, but I don't know that we really think about what we're doing. Praying in the name of Jesus. See, the Hebrews attached great significance to the choosing of a name for a newborn child. They didn't just come up with a name, Harry or Charlie or whatever, if that's your name, nothing against that name, but they actually came up and they said, hey, this this meaning of this name, um, it indicated the role that the child would play in the family or or that the the role of of, um, the child would play in the history of God's people. John the Baptist was given a name by God, not by his parents. And so we also see in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, how God does the same thing. He sends Gabriel to Mary after she, um, to tell her that she's going to conceive and she's going to have this child. And, and, then she, and then Gabriel tells Mary, you must name him Jesus. God wasn't going to leave the naming of his child, the son of God, up to the, the humans. He was going to name him himself. And, and he was particular and intentional about the name that he would give to his son. And it was going to be Jesus. In Aramaic, that name Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. Simply meaning God is salvation. And so God wanted to be that any time we called out the name of Jesus, we were basically saying God is our salvation. God is freedom. God is, is, is bondage breaker. God is restorer. God is savior. And they could not address Jesus, the son of God, without recognizing and calling out his name, which defined him and defined the character of who God is. So God was very intentional. And so when we come and pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying in the name of God who is salvation, God who is freedom, God who is life giver, God who is restorer. And see, in Hebrew thought, the name of the person stood for that entire person. So if someone says and comes up, I mean, think about it. We don't like our names being used in vain, so to speak. I picked on Hector, I picked on him again. In the name of Hector, I'm telling you, you can go and, you know, whatever. And Hector's like, hey, if, if that's not how Hector feels, he doesn't want me saying that, right? We feel the same way. But when we pray in the name of Jesus, again, Hebrew thought, um, when you said that in the name of that person, it's stood for the entire person. So to pray in the name of Jesus means to pray in the person of Jesus as Jesus himself would pray. It's kind of like you're saying, you know, I'm going to step out, out of, outside of this. This is not me praying. I am stepping, I'm merely connecting the dots by the power and the authority of Jesus Christ and the need here. I'm just saying, I represent, I'm standing in behalf of Jesus Christ and I'm praying in his name. And when we do that, it means that we must put on the mind of Jesus. We can't afford to, we pray for people in the name of Jesus to see that person through our own eyes. We have to see that person through the eyes of Christ, through his eyes of compassion, through his eyes of love, not through his eyes or eyes of criticism or rejection. So when you pray in the name of Jesus, it means that we must see people through the eyes of Jesus. We must see them, we must see situations as he does, and then speak with the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And he tells us to do this. And then last week, Pastor Rennie spoke on the healing of the blind man. And I, and I love this story because, you know, in the story, as you heard last week, there's this blind man and Jesus is passing by and he cries out to Jesus. He says, Jesus, 
Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and he looks at a blind man. And he asked the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? You know, you would think that the need was pretty obvious, right? But I love that Jesus says, no, I want you to tell me what you want me to do for you. I want you to articulate. I want you to cry out. I want you to recognize what your need is. And so this man looks at Jesus. He says, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus heals him. Too many times in our prayers, we come to Jesus with generic prayers. Sometimes I think it's probably due to embarrassment. Sometimes it's like we don't want to rehash, resurface the the issue or the concern or the thing that we want to pray for, whether it's embarrassing to ourselves or or whether we're embarrassed to bring it up to somebody else. And so we glaze over it and we we, we pray for, for, for something else or we just say, God, I just want hope. I want to have joy back in my life. And so we kind of glaze things over. We don't get detailed. And sometimes I don't think people know what they want. You know, we, we, we try to be, start being really intentional about when we pray for people, asking them at these altars, what do you want God to do for you? And some people could articulate what that was, but we found that the majority of people had to stop and think about it for a while. And they ask, I want peace in my life. I want joy. I want restoration. What do you want that from? What is the cause? And they'd have to think. And then what we began to see is as people began to name it, I'm not talking name it, claim it, but just really recognize need and say, you know what, God, this is the source of my hurt. This is where this is coming from. I want you to heal that area. I want you to take away that offense or take away that rejection or take away that pain, which was caused by this. Man, we began to see people pray with a different intensity. And we, and we actually, almost smiles would come to their faces and go, yeah, God, this is what I'm asking for. A lot of times we find ourselves praying for the symptoms of something rather than the cause. All I know is that I hurt in this area, and so I don't want to hurt anymore. I don't want the pain anymore. Well, we need to get to the root of what's causing that pain. Not just talk about healing. And that's what I love about God. He's not interested in just basically putting a band-aid over a bullet hole. He's interested in healing that bullet wound completely. And so many times we're convinced, what I need is a Band-Aid. He says, no, what you need is complete healing. And he can see beyond that. And if we would pause long enough in our prayer lives, when we come to Jesus and really begin to examine ourselves and go, you know what, what is it that I need? And sometimes that means going back in our lives to very hurtful places. And sometimes going and revisiting things we don't want to revisit. But I want to tell you that in doing it and recognizing, it may be painful to go there, but when you recognize what it is and you bring it and go, God, this is where I'm struggling. And maybe some of the things that we're suffering from are, are, is, is bitterness, and bitterness comes from some abuse we've been through. But man, when we go back to those places and we say, God, here's what it is. And so many times we have to go back to our childhood to get to the source of these things. I want to encourage you, and examine yourself, look at yourself. And you know what? Sometimes we have to say, God, would you show me what it is? I'm not sure what it is. Would you show me what it is you know, that I'm hurting in so that I can really get real healing? It's interesting that when Jesus went into Jerusalem, they were praising him uh, not for who he was, but who they wanted him to be. So he's got these thousands and thousands of people, and they're praising him, and, and, and their focus was on the fact that 
that they wanted him to bring freedom from, from physical oppression, from literal oppression. But Jesus' focus was on the freedom from sin. And they were praising him and laying down these palms of victory because their focus was on restoring Israel to its former glory. And this is what they thought he was coming to do. But Jesus' focus was on reconciliation between God and man. And again, they were praising him because they, they were focusing on this earthly kingdom, but Jesus was focusing on the kingdom of heaven. And so in the midst of all of this, of this hype and recognition of thousands and thousands, possibly millions of people praising Jesus, and, and, and rightly so, he's, he's, walking, he's riding in an as he grounds the corner, he sees Jerusalem and he begins to weep. How does that make sense? Here they are praising him. Here they are recognizing him. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 19, verse 42. He says, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. See, even then, I don't think much has changed in that time. Sometimes we look at Christ, we go, This is what I want you to do for me. We're convinced that what we need is that band-aid. But Jesus can see beyond the band-aid and go, No, what that, what that wound that you're trying to cover up with a band-aid is not a scratch. It's a deeper wound, and the band-aid won't cut it. And he looks into what we really, really need. Reminds me of the paralyzed man. I mean, the friends. We want friends like this. Friends that, that see this, this, their, their friend, he's paralyzed, and, they, and they're trying to take him to Jesus, and they get to the, the, the place where Jesus is, and it's crowded. And so these faithful men go, you know what? Nothing's going to stop us. We're going to climb the roof. We're going to open up the roof, and we're going to lower this man by ropes down onto, uh, into the feet of Jesus. And so they do that. And so as this crippled, paralyzed man comes down, Jesus looks at him and says, what? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven, right? He's like, I don't want my sins forgiven. I want to walk. But see, Jesus looks and goes, you know, the greater need that you have is not the fact that you're paralyzed. The greater need that you have is salvation for your soul and that your sins be forgiven. That is what the real need is. And so Jesus heals the real need first and then heals the physical need as well. And that's who our God is. The truth is, what we need more than the healing is the healer. And so we've got to be careful that we don't go searching after and chasing a healing as if it's this thing. But we need to be intentional about chasing the healer because when we come into contact with the healer and we find the healer in him, we receive healing. And so we need to chase the healer are you desperate for the healer? Or have you simply been distracted by the fact that you need a healing? Your greatest need, and my greatest need, is in him. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 55. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came, and he fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. 
When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not get unnoticed or go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go into the, into, uh, in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, but he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Jesus is returning. Uh, he's coming back across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. Uh, and there's an expectant crowd, and they're eager, and they're waiting for him. By the way, this this story is uh, found in, in all the Gospels, and you can read it, and, and they each have a somewhat of a different take and, and, and kind of elaborate a little bit more. Um, but within this excited and expectant crowd of people waiting to see Jesus, to receive Jesus back, there were two people, two people that we just read about. And these two people, really, if you compare them pe- person to person, were completely different. They had nothing in common. They were far apart. You would never put them in the same group of people or in the same crowd. Yet they had one thing in common. They were both desperate for Jesus Christ. They both knew that he was the answer that they needed. And so they would find themselves in this crowd eagerly awaiting Jesus' return. The first man was a man named Jairus, who we read about. He was the leader of a local synagogue. He was a man of status. He was a community leader. He was well known. He was a man of high position. This man, in order to, he was a lay person, but in order to serve in this position, he had to be elected into this position. So he was well known. He knew the people. They knew him. He was a public figure. And he would find himself in this crowd with all of these people, with all of this hype. They would have known him well because. His responsibilities would have involved them. He was responsible for supervising worship services. He was responsible for the carrying of of the scrolls. And if you know anything about uh, about Jewish um, custom, these scrolls were, were, they considered them living things. These These were precious. He was responsible for running the daily school. He was responsible for keeping the congregation faithful to the law, making sure that they were abiding by the law. He was uh, responsible for distributing alms, administering for the care of the actual building as well, and also for finding rabbis to teach on the Sabbath. Yet here's this man with this high position, well-known, well-respected, and despite his status, we would see and read about this picture of Jairus coming and falling down at the feet of Jesus, begging him to come home with him. This would have been a really 
strange sight for the people in that crowd to see. Here is this man, this respected man, and he's in here with us, and he's actually falling at the feet of Jesus, who is known to be a lawbreaker. You know, you've got to understand that a lot of synagogues by this time were closing the doors to Jesus. They had determined that he was a lawbreaker, and is it possible, it may be, that even his synagogue had closed the doors to Jesus. So here's this man full of pride, full of of position, full of respect, yet he finds himself doing something which he probably never would normally have done. He finds himself in his darkest hour, in his most desperate time of need, throwing off all of that pride, all of that position, all of the possible criticism, and realizing, no, what I need is this man, Jesus, because of what he can do. And so his, his love as a father would far outweigh his position and his pride. All he knows is even if he had closed the doors to Jesus in the synagogue, even if he had even determined Jesus to be a lawbreaker, all he knew is that his daughter was dying. And you can tell that he loves his daughter. I think one of the Gospels says, my little girl is dying. And so he's desperate that he throws off everything that would keep him from coming to Jesus. He loses the pride. He forgets the arrogance. He doesn't worry about what are people going to say, and I'm sure people were saying a whole lot. All of that gets pushed to the side because he is desperate that he find Jesus because Jesus is his answer to his most desperate need in his de- most desperate circumstances. And so he comes and he throws himself in front of this entire crowd at the feet of Jesus and he begs Jesus to come to his house. You know, I go back and I think of John the Baptist. Remember we read about how John the Baptist doubted Jesus? Remember the, the story um, where John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to Jesus and, 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 he, and he sends them with this question to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And the reason he did this was because Jesus was not moving in the way he thought the Messiah would move. He was hanging out, he was breaking laws, he was doing all these things, and so he had this, he was struggling. Okay, is this really the Messiah? Did I make a mistake? Is this really Jesus? And Jesus responds with this. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. That the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And I can't help but wonder if, if this synagogue ruler, although in his mind maybe determined that, that Jesus was a lawbreaker and shouldn't be in the synagogue, in his greatest need, he comes face to face with what he thinks and what he sees. And what he sees is through the name of Jesus and in this man, Jesus, the deaf are, are hearing, the blind are seeing, the crippled are walking, those with leprosy are being healed. So despite what I think, this is what I know and this is what I see and I am desperate for that in my life. What I need is that healing. What I need is that power. What I need is that authority. And so all of that other stuff gets pushed to the side and goes because of his darkest, greatest need. It humbles him enough to say, hey, I'm a broken, empty man, and what I need is you. All pride had gone. All position had gone. Everything had gone. All he wanted was his daughter to be healed, and he would do anything 
to have that happen. And so Jesus starts moving off with this man to go heal his daughter. But in this crowd is another person. This person has nothing in common with Jairus, completely opposite except for one thing. She finds herself desperate in the most darkest time of her life as well. And so what I love about this is that in your greatest need, man, the, level, the ground at Jesus' feet is level ground. It doesn't matter who you are, what position you are. Man, when you're in greatest need, it, none of that stuff matters. Jesus isn't looking at your position or your title. See, this woman was very different. She, uh, for 12 years, had been hemorrhaging. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. We're told uh, in Scripture that many doctors had tried to cure her, but they had no success. In fact, her condition was worsening. And unlike Jarius, she is not respected. She is not well-known. Rather, she is rejected, and she is an outcast. Because of this bleeding, she was considered unclean. And because of this bleeding and because she was unclean, she was not allowed to worship in the synagogue. And because of this bleeding, she couldn't have a normal uh, normal social relationships with anybody, for under Jewish law, anyone who touched her also became unclean. Thus, this woman had been treated most, almost as severely as lepers would be treated. And the fact that she would find herself in this crowd shows the courage that this woman had on her part. If the people in the crowd knew of her condition, she would have been in for some very rough treatment. If they knew that they were pushing up and touching someone who was determined unclean, and that they would be called unclean as well, they would have been horrified. They would have been angry. And so here in the midst of this crowd, you have this synagogue leader, this respected man, this man of position, this man... um, of, of responsibility. He was this, this picture of what people wanted to be. He was at the top of his career. And in that same crowd, amongst all the hype and everything else, was another lady completely opposite. She was the picture of rejection. She was the picture of unrighteousness. She was the picture of uncleanliness. In fact, here's the, here's the amazing thing, that these two people would find themselves in a, a crowd, a crowd full of hype. And they would stand out for one reason. It wasn't about the hype for them. It was about the desperation in their hearts. So they were united by one thing, this this, this desperation, this acknowledgement that in their deepest, darkest hours, what they needed was Jesus Christ. And they would find themselves, each of them, breaking barriers and pushing uh, pushing aside hindrances, things that would naturally keep them from being there. I think about this and, um, you know, they were both in that crowd. And I imagine for this woman, she's, she's, she's in this crowd and, and she sees Jairus there. This is the very man who would have kept her out of the synagogue. You understand that? This is the very man who would have determined she was unclean. This is the law enforcer. This is the person who would make sure that, that, that things were being done right. And she, according to his and the law that, that, that they were obviously practicing, Uh, would have determined that she should not have been there. Can you imagine her horror? Probably thinking, hey, I'm going to be in this crowd, but Jesus rejected by the synagogue. The last person I'm going to see is this guy because he doesn't even like Jesus because Jesus is a lawbreaker, so he's not going to be there. And then there in that crowd, who does she see? 
the very person who's going to enforce the fact that she's rejected. And they find themselves in the same crowd. I can only imagine maybe she's trying to hide herself from him. Oh, God, don't let them see me in here, because if they see me, I am done. And as she's standing there, maybe to her horror, she sees Jairus go running up to Jesus and fall at Jesus' feet. Now she's dumbfounded by this as well. What is going on? And Jesus, and he begs Jesus to get up and, and, and go with him to heal his daughter. And, and maybe to a horror, Jesus kind of just starts walking with this man of reputation, this man of position, this man of authority, the very man that you don't want to know that you're in that crowd. And he starts walking away. I can only imagine that she must have been desperate. And that point was probably the greatest struggle. Man, I need to get a hold of Jesus, but the very thing, I'm coming face to face with the very barrier that says I'm not worthy, the very barrier that says I'm unclean, the very barrier that says you better not go near anything holy, you're unrighteous, you're dirty, you're unclean, you're rejected. And now that barrier is walking with Jesus, and I have to hurdle that barrier in order to get to him. Do you know how hard that must have been? See, we can read this story and glaze over and go, oh, these two people got healed, oh, this is great. But man, when you really get into what's happening here, and I love that we read this because in this is a story of who God is. And so she sees Jesus begin to walk away with this man. And now she says, man, I've just, I've just got to touch him. He's, he's my only hope. I've got nothing else. I've got nothing left. And so despite the risk, despite the law, Despite the rejection, she presses in. She pushes through the crowd, desperate just to touch Jesus. So as Jesus begins to make his way to Jairus' house, through this virtually impossible multitude, one woman fought her way desperately through the crowd in order to touch Jesus. Remember, she had an issue of of blood. She was weak. She wasn't strong. And she's so determined to get to God. She's so determined to get to Jesus that she she finds the strength to push through all the barriers and all the hindrances and all the rejection, touching people she shouldn't be touching just to get a hold of him. And then she touches him, and in an instant, she is healed. And at that moment, she's like, okay, great. This is awesome. Let me slip out of here unnoticed before anybody knows what's going on. But that's not what happens. Jesus stops. And he says, and he asks this crazy question when people are pushing up against him, who touched me? And of course, we know the disciples say, you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. But Jesus could decipher the difference between a touch of need, a touch of desperation, and a touch of enthusiasm, a touch of hype. It was different. See, they were all bouncing up and touching him, but they were in their hype. This lady was in her desperation, in her need, and she touched him in a different way than they touched him. She was seeking him. She needed him. She wanted him. He was the answer to her needs. And when she touched him, power went out from him and she was healed. Verse 47 says, Then when the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she wanted out. She comes up to him trembling. And she falls at his feet. And I love what it says, In the presence of all the people. Listen, this lady didn't want anybody to know she was there. And now Jesus kind of calls her out in front of everybody. He knows who touched him. He calls her out, and now all eyes are on her. 
And she comes up to Jesus and she falls at his feet. Here's this rejected woman that shouldn't even be there and they know it. Not to mention Jairus is watching all of this happen. And she falls at his feet and she tells Jesus and everybody else who was there why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. She had to bring to surface the very thing that made her disgusting to everybody else. She, at the feet of Jesus, said, Jesus, this, this is what I was going through. This is who I am. I was determined, unclean, and I don't know her words, but I know in front of everybody she had to verbalize and say, this is who I was for 12 years, uncurable, and all I know is I touched you and you healed me. And the courage that this lady had to have to say, hey. And guess what? Jesus wanted her to say all of that. Because I believe Jesus was sending a very powerful message to that crowd and even to Jairus who was standing right there. And then Jesus says to her, daughter, he doesn't call her reject. He doesn't call her lawbreaker. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He commends his unrighteous lady who's not even allowed in the synagogue for her faith and says your faith has healed you go in peace now while this is all happening right verse 49 while jesus is still speaking someone came from the house of jairus the synagogue leader and says your daughter is dead don't bother the teacher anymore and hearing this jesus said to jairus don't be afraid just believe and she'll be healed now again um just just Put yourself in Jairus' shoes now. This is real, guys. This is the reality of it. He desperately comes to Jesus, and he's saying, please, my daughter, she's sick. I need you to come heal. I'm sure for him time is of the essence. He's wanting to move forward. He's wanting to go. And, 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 and they begin to move, and all of a sudden, some lady touches Jesus, and he stops. I don't have time for you to stop. You know, my daughter's dying. I need you to come. And Jesus stops and turns around and says, who touched me? And to James' horror, it's a lady who shouldn't even be in the crowd. What are you doing here? You're a lawbreaker. You're unrighteous. You're unclean. You shouldn't be here. Jesus, why are you wasting your time with this unrighteous, unclean person? You've got this religious leader, and you've got this religious outcast. And they find themselves in the same crowd, both desperately needing Jesus. And the one would have been reluctant to come even close to the other one. They would have had animosity to each, to each other. And yet here they both are. And Jesus stops and he looks at this outcast and this reject. And he says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Let me tell you, it was a strong message to everybody in that crowd because they would have looked at her and said, man, what are you doing here? You touched me? Am I unclean? What's going through their minds? Because she had pushed through all of them. And then think about Jairus. In that moment, as he watches this wretch, this unclean, unrighteous person, he's not even allowed to be in the synagogue, he's watching her get healed, he's getting the news that his daughter has died. You ever been in those shoes? Where maybe in your desperate need, and you're wanting a healing, you see someone else get healed? But Jairus, he came to him first. He got to Jesus first. How come he didn't get the healing first? It's interesting that, that she came to him second, but she actually got healed first. What is going through his mind? And the reason why I say this is because, guys, we go there. 
how come this person's healed God? And how come, you know, how come I'm not? How come this person's healed? And look at their lifestyle. But, but me, who I'm trying or whatever, I'm not picking on people, but man, these are the thoughts that we have. And so Jairus is confronted with this man, like, like my daughter's just died. And see, he witnesses this amazing thing that he's probably struggling to process as the keeper and enforcer of the law. How does he handle this? But he's watching this, and his heart is dying inside. He just got the worst news that he could possibly get. This is a man who loved his daughter. He threw off everything. He didn't care about the pride. He didn't care about the respect. He didn't care about the criticism. All he wanted was his daughter to live. And now he's told that she's died. And Jesus stops and he looks at him. And in the face of the worst news that he could have got, he says to him, just believe and she will live. And so... You know, Jairus is now confronted with this issue. Man, I've been told that my daughter is, is dead, but I've just witnessed something amazing. I've just witnessed this, this healing as well. And so this Messiah, Jesus, would go with Jairus, this man of high position, and he would t- go to his house, and he would find all the hired mourners there mourning like they were supposed to. And Jesus would take some disciples, and he would take... Jairus and, and, and his wife into that house and he would look at this little girl who was dead and he would say to her, my child, get up. And she would get up. And then he would tell them, go and get her something to eat. I love this story. I just love this story because, you know, I've read this so many times too and I didn't even realize all that was in here. But when we come and we wrestle with this, man, Jesus is not a respecter of persons. In fact, it's the outcast who gets touched first rather than the spiritual person. And he's teaching a lesson in all of this. But what I like about this too is, man, in their desperation, they recognize in their greatest hour of need, nothing else mattered. Their positions didn't matter. The pride didn't matter. The respect didn't matter. What other people thought didn't matter. All of that was thrown off because none of that made any difference to them. All they wanted was to get to Jesus because he was their help. He was their only hope. And so both these two people, completely different lifestyles, completely different people, completely different group of friends, find themselves in the same crowd, both desperately needing Jesus Christ. And both of them get healed because of their faith in him. What we don't need to do is seek just a healing. We need to seek the healer. And I want to ask you and challenge you, are you desperate for him? I mean, are you desperate for him? The kind of desperate where where in your weakness you're going to push through the crowds like this lady. That you're you're going to basically risk being you know, abused or rejected or, or whatever, you know, just the extremity of what they would do to her if they found that she was there. But she throws that off. The determination of Jairus, who, who in his high position and ridicule from other synagogue leaders and other people that obviously he rubbed shoulders with, and other rabbis, everything that he jeopardized by going and falling at the feet of this lawbreaker, See, in our deepest and darkest hours, 
None of that seems to matter when you know that what you need and who you need is Jesus. Psalm 50, verse 15 says this, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. You know, what we celebrate this time at Easter time is Jesus came for the, for the broken. No matter what your position is, no matter what your title is, no matter how, how high you think you are or how low you think you are, Jesus came to bring healing to you. He will pause with the righteous man to heal a rejected person. And I want to ask you, what is keeping you from coming and falling at the feet of Christ? What, what is keeping you? You know, we can look at our needs and go, you know, this is where I am, and this is how broken I am, or this is what I need. But man, there's something inside of us that says, no, but you can't go and fall at the feet of Jesus. You can't do that in this church. And I'm not trying to build an altar call. Man, when you fall at the feet of Jesus at this altar, or you fall at the feet of Jesus in your house, you know what determines the difference? Why you're doing that. If pride is keeping you from doing it here, and so you do it at your house, then I think you've got too many pride issues. You're not actually conquering this thing that's keeping you. But then when we throw off the hindrances and we actually say, you know, God, I don't care about anybody else. I don't care what they think. I don't care what they thought of me or, 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 or how superior or how spiritual. God, I need you. And you are the only answer. Whatever, No, no matter what anybody else says, God, I'm going to come and I'm going to fall at your feet and I'm going to cry out and I'm going to beg you what I need in my life is you to touch me and you to heal me because you're the only one that can do that. If that is your heart in healing, that's where we need to be. But this isn't just about healing. This is about those coming to Christ. How many times do we hear people say, you know what? Sometimes people are too high. Well, they're, they're, they're too educated. They're too whatever. They're too proud to actually come and fall at the feet of Christ and say, I need you in my life. And so they keep walking on and continuing in their dark and, 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 and hurting broken lives because pride keeps them from coming to Christ. And on the other spectrum of that is the person who says, man, I'm unrighteous in the eyes of the people who actually go to that church. They don't even want me there. If I could sneak into the church with a hoodie on or something and they wouldn't see me. But just as Jesus does to this girl, to this this lady, he eventually, so to speak, takes the hoodie off and says, no, I want people to know who you are. And so she too says, man, everyone says I'm unrighteous. Everyone says I don't belong. I'm not welcome in church. I'm not welcome with these people. And if I even come around them, they would consider themselves unclean. That's how disgusting they think I am. But despite all of that, despite the opinion of the congregation, of the people of the church, I know that I am broken and I know that I need Jesus. And the only time I can get healing is if I come into contact with him. And so despite what anybody thinks, I'm going to come and I'm going to fall at the feet of Jesus where the ground is level. And the one thing they have in common is that same level of desperation. And so they would stand out in that crowd. They would be unique in that crowd. It wasn't hype. It wasn't emotion. It was sincere. It was desperate. And they knew that Jesus had the answer. He was the only answer. And they would risk everything to get to him. I just hope that as we go forward in Easter, when we realize 
as Lori said this morning, man, when you realize Jesus, out of his love and his compassion, saw you, and he saw me in my sin and my brokenness and in my sickness, and it is his desire that I not live and walk and accept it. After 12 years, she could have accepted it and just said, this is the way it is. And he saw us in our darkness, whatever that darkness means for you. And he says, I'm so determined that you live and you have life that I'm going to come and I'm going to give my life and I am going to die on a cross for you. And then he says, it is finished. It is finished. The price has been paid. Redemption has been given. Sins have been forgiveness. Sickness has been healed. Your darkness, but if you would come to me, you could walk in that. And even in Christian circles, we get up and we walk out with the same pains we came in with because I'm a deacon in the church. Old people think if I need prayer. I'm a pastor in the church. What happens if people think this? Or I don't want to go to church because those people know I'm messed up and I don't want to show my face there. And we walk out in brokenness because we're too proud to fall at his feet. Man, I don't want to go and meet Christ and him look at me and say, someone, your greatest enemy was you. And that's going to be it. That's always it. It's never something else. Your greatest enemy was your arrogance and your pride. And it kept you from getting what you needed because it kept you from being broken and prostrate before me. And if you would just recognize him, come. His word says, seek him with all of your heart. When you seek him, he will be found by you. This, this morning, needs to be more than just a palm that we walk out of here with. I hope that when you walk out of this, what you hold in your hand would strongly burn in your heart that you have the potential to walk in victory. And if you walk out of here without walking in victory, it's because you chose to walk out of here not walking in victory. Because this says, and this is why we do this, we have victory through Jesus Christ. God, Yahweh, God God with us, God our Savior, God our bondage breaker, God our healer, God our restorer, God our addiction breaker, God our hope, God our future. He died for me that I could live and walk in that. And by God, I'm going to walk in that. And I'm coming to him and saying, God, would you set me free in my sickness and in my darkest pain and in the abuse and in my emotions and spiritually and physically in every possible way. Because that's who he is. And that's what Easter's about. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to close in prayer. And, and here's what I want to do. Because I, I'm really, I, I could care less about packing an altar. I really, I, I, I just, but here's what I want to do. I don't even want to have the prayer team come up. What I want to do is don't let anything keep you from coming and falling at the feet, not of Selwyn, or not of a deacon, or a prayer team leader, but the feet of Jesus. And pouring out your... It doesn't matter who's next to you. God, help us if we walk out of here in pain and hurt because somebody was standing next to me. 
But would you come if that is you? And would you fall at the feet of Jesus? And I want to tell you something. If you're going, I don't know if I want to do that in front of everybody, I want to tell you, you definitely need to do it in front of everybody. Because the fact that that's bothering you says it's pride. And says it's keeping you from something. If, if it wasn't a big issue than you, then it doesn't matter where you pray. But man, don't let that come. Don't let it stop you from crying out. And so I just want to close this in prayer. And I'm going to ask the guys to put some music on. And then we're going to open these altars up. And the rest is between you and God. But freedom is here. And victory is here. And what you need is not someone to lay hands on you. What you need is God to lay hands on you. And you to give up every burden you've ever got and walk out of here in freedom. And let our outreach be an outpouring of who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. Well, Jesus, we just come before you. You are the king of kings. And you are the Lord of lords. And all glory in heaven and earth belong to you. And Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, for your amazing love, your amazing mercy, your amazing grace, that you would look upon us with eyes of compassion and grace. That God, even in in a community where everybody else rejected this lady, God, you didn't reject her. And God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so even in this place this morning, if there is someone and they feel like they've been rejected by Christians or other people, God, I pray that you would let them know how much you love them and that you have freedom for them, Lord God, and salvation and hope. And God, for the person who's been in this church, and God, maybe they're struggling with pride, maybe they're afraid of what people may think, Lord God, maybe it's their position which is a hindrance to, 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 to them coming. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would break down that barrier and that hindrance, you'd remove it from them because God, for the most rejected person, and for the most highly respected person. God, we all need you. Holy Spirit, would you move this morning? Would you touch lives? Would your name be glorified? Would you bring freedom to them? And would you build your kingdom? In Jesus' name, amen. These altars are open.